Costa throws it down. Welcome to Coast to Coast, an NBA podcast by the fans for the fans. My name is Chris, and hosting with me is my guy Ronan. Tune in every week as we dive into the hottest content and emerging rumors across the league. Dodgers pulls up three pointer. Don't miss a beat. Whether it's a star on the move or the Knicks acquiring another forward, we got you covered. Zion for four for four! Welcome to the NBA! The game is constantly evolving, and whether it's by the eye test or advanced stats, we'll give you the analysis you need to take your fandom to the next level. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! Sit back and relax. Coast to Coast starts now. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Coast to Coast. Uh, we are still reeling from the uh, the blockbuster trade that has seen James Harden go to Brooklyn, but we are back to th- talk about other things. And joining me as always is my man Chris. How you doing, man? What's going on, man? Yeah, we're uh, we're off to uh, not bigger and not better stuff, but but still interesting, still interesting news that we need to cover here. Um, but I'm I'm doing good. I'm excited to talk about our Hawks. We've been talking about them a lot recently and excited to talk about some Suns. And I just want to jump straight into it. And we've had some polarizing looks at the Atlanta Hawks this season. Uh, We started off hot, really talking about how they've built their team up, how they started off in the preseason. And it seems like they've cooled off a bit. Um, And it's really been an interesting way to start the season. How have you felt about them so far? It's it's been a mixed start for them, but the most important thing that I'm looking at is the fact that this is still such a new team and you have to take into account the fact that they didn't have the usual preseason training camp and everything to gel together as a team. They got had a lot of new additions. They had a lot of young guys that are kind of coming into their own a bit more and they just haven't had that time to really click as a team. But I think it's been a positive start for them. And it's just all down to Trey Young adapting to basically playing in the best team he's played at so far in his NBA career. Absolutely. That's that's definitely the first thing we need to get into is talking about Trey. Um, I think before we jump into that, I guess I, I want to go over some early season stats. So power ranking, first and foremost, um, they were really high up there. I'm talking fifth in the league. Um, and now they've slipped all the way down to 15th as they're right at 500, five and five. And um, you said it first, they had a really hot start, but then you think about the teams that they faced. And I think this has really shaped our perception. They performed well against teams like Chicago, Memphis, Detroit. And really, I think they're only, when you look at it, their only impressive win was against Brooklyn where they, they killed them in three quarters. They Steve Nash was benching Durant and Kyrie not even halfway into the fourth. And it was just a really convincing win for them against a good team. But besides that, they only beat Chicago, Memphis, Detroit. And then they go on that four-game skid, losing to Cleveland, New York, Charlotte twice in a row. And then their last win against Philly was against a decimated team, which saw 
guys like Isaiah Joe getting almost 40 minutes a game. So I'm, I'm definitely not as high as I was when I started out. And again, Trey Young is going to be the center of all the positivity and all the controversy with the highs and lows of this team. And I guess questions coming out now, is it true the rumors that were swirling around the league that players do not necessarily want to play with, play with Trey? Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to really know until you kind of, until you hear a wadge bomb on that. I don't think you can, you can, uh, you can have too much, too much faith in it. But the biggest issue that's coming out is with John Collins. This is the guy who wants a big contract. He declined the deal in the off season because he thinks he's going to deserve uh, a much bigger contract uh, this off season. And he's not happy with the way Trey's dealing him the ball. And apparently it's coming, it's coming to a bit of a bit of a shouting match in, in, in film sessions and stuff. So that's kind of the main story that, that we're hearing is the fact that John Collins is demanding more involvement in this team and he is not happy with the way Trey Young is leading the offense at this time. Yeah, I'm I'm wondering how much of this story is being you know, when stories like this are released out to the media, which, first of all, is, is a problem in and of itself. The, the story was was released on The Athletic, where in a film session, John Collins was talking, I mean, directly to Trey. He wasn't talking to the media. He wasn't talking to anybody else. He was in a film session expressing that he doesn't like some of the early shot clock, um, deep threes that Trey takes, saying that players feel like they're on the outside looking in when he takes shots like that. I mean, this is all reminiscent of, of a Harden-esque uh, complaint. Um, and that seems to me like not when you talk about a team that's that's figuring things out, that's a, a legitimate thing for a teammate to be saying. So I, I think especially for Collins, a guy who declined his extension and is looking to play for a max contract, he does want those touches. He does want to be better. And you do see at times – when the Hawks get stagnant, a lot of times Trey just tries to dominate the ball. I mean, he's, I mean, he's a hell of a player when he does it, but on a team that's trying to be great and do bigger things and compete in the playoffs, a lot of players are just sitting out there on the perimeter as he's trying to get his own. And I wonder how much of uh, this story speaks to not just Collins, but the rest of the team. Yeah, it's interesting. You kind of you kind of look at it and thinking maybe is Collins just the only one with the balls to kind of step up and and make and make this call in, in front of Trey and to to Trey. But at the same time, you look at Collins, he's still getting the second most touches on the team. Trey is averaging more passes per game than he ever has in the NBA. And this is still just a team that are learning to play together. And I believe that Trey has the talent to lead this offense to a playoff berth. And I think Collins just needs to be patient with this young team. I know he's in a position where he can't really rely on things that, that may or may not happen this season. But I think the position that he's in, he's still getting the second most touches on the team. He's still arguably the second threat on offense after Trey. But 
he just has to put a bit more pressure on himself. He has to be more accurate and more consistent when he gets the ball in his hands. He has to make shots more consistently. Young is going to adjust to this and things will improve. But for me, I'm looking at it in Collins, from Collins' perspective. I know he's playing for the big deal, but if he wants that big deal, go out and earn it. When you get the ball, you make sure that you step up and make baskets and make passes and just do everything that he can do. He can control himself to the best of his ability. Yeah, and the thing is with with his criticism coming to Trey about how many touches he's getting, how much he's dominating the ball. I mean, it's it's undeniable that he is on this hardened like trajectory of of how is he he's been playing. But when you look at his usage, he is fourth tied with Giannis in the league for usage, but he also ranks fourth in assists. He is dishing the ball out. He is one of the league's best playmakers right now. So I think too, it's it's disingenuous to believe that taking the ball out of Trey's hands more is going to make this team better. Now, I do think that they can definitely do more with him off the ball. And unfortunately, I think a lot of that was depending on guys like um, Bogdan Bogdanovich, who is now going to be out maybe four, six weeks. We'll, we'll see how, how that injury ends up uh, healing. Um, but he is right now out indefinitely. And just talking about where they go from here, um, after this four-game skid and, and getting an uninspiring win against 76ers, how do they improve? And we, we should talk about now where the team stands as a whole. And it's not bad. I mean, it, even though we're talking about a little bit of disappointment here, just in this in this uh, exact moment in their season, which is very young. Again, we won't, we won't overreact too much. But Right now, they are below average true shooting. They're 49% on twos, and that's near bottom of the league. For a team that was flashing really, really good portions of offense, offensive talent. Um, but you do want to commend them for how well they played on both sides of the ball. I mean, if, if you look at um, – if you take out garbage time, you're looking at cleaning the glass, they are top five in both offense and defense. I think a lot of that you attribute to Cam Reddish being – really good on the defensive end as, as shaky as he's looked inconsistent really on the offensive end. He's been great defensively. Same thing with DeAndre Hunter, who's emerging into his own as not just a, a elite defender, but a shot maker, not just a spot of which he's done excellently this year, but also off the dribble. So there's, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of room for improvement that they can make in this early go. And I think it's definitely going to come not just from Trey, but these other guys. Yeah, definitely. And I think you, you talked about a couple of the guys, yeah, Hunter and Reddish. They're two guys that are demanding more possessions to be played through them this year. And I also think uh, Herder is doing that off the bench as well. Capella's oh, yeah. come back in. you got to run plays. Capella can be such an elite pick-and-roll player. you got to run plays through him. And then you even look at the, the three guys that they brought in this, uh, this offseason, Galilari, Bogdanovich, Rondo. All three of those guys are out at the moment, out injured. And, I mean, that's why you're, when you look at the comments that Collins are making, there's there's so much talent on this team and there's a lot of players that need to have time on the ball. I mean, this is just something they're going to have to figure out. They haven't had – they don't have as much practice time. They they don't have freedom to, to, to have – 
normal team meetings. They haven't had the preseason. I mean, this is going to take time. And I just believe Collins is doing this team no favours by getting all rowdy about the amount of time that he's getting on the ball. Don't get me wrong. You have to respect him standing up and, and just saying what he's feeling. But for me, it's coming from a selfish point of view rather than the team's overall benefit. Yeah, funny, funny thing, back, back to that story, because um, I, I think it's absolutely wild that we have that story in our hands, first of all. And a, a little tidbit in there, too, that was so like weirdly specific was at the end, they talked about how Capella specifically was telling the story about how Harden and Dwight Howard had gone through the same issue and he doesn't want to see that happen again. Like that's like such a specific private conversation. So clearly there's just like one guy that is in there talking and and it's funny, but that's something that really affects locker rooms. You need that locker room trust. So if P, if guys are in that locker room looking around them and thinking, who's who's talking, who's who's leaking information, that has an effect on chemistry. And for a team that's young, for a team that's new, they need to be building that chemistry. Like you said, that's going to be one of the biggest parts of their successes here. And I, I think when you look at the stats, they have – they have definitely room to grow on the offensive end. Their efficiency will get better as their chemistry um, gets better. And I think their their defense looking this good to start has to be the the biggest bright spot for them. They, I mean, even the, the biggest Hawks fans are going to expect that their defense at best was going to be average. So even if they regress back to the mean, they got to be happy with where they're at right there. Yeah, definitely. And I think I, I'm looking forward to seeing – them when Rondo is is playing and when they have Rondo and Trey on the floor together, I'll be interested to see what they can do with Trey uh, in uh, off the ball plays. I think because he that's that's kind of like an untapped resource that they they haven't really been able to use because they're so reliant on Trey's ball handling. But I think Rondo coming in, obviously he's going to be coming in off the bench. There's probably not going to be too many stretches where they're on the floor together, but they have, will. It'll be smart for them to try and work uh, at least at least five to ten minutes in, in games where these two guys are on the floor together and see what they can get out of Trey as as an off-ball offensive player. Mm-hmm. Uh, one interesting tidbit here to, to pay attention to is that Lloyd Pierce, head coach of the Atlanta Hawks, he is on certainly a short leash. Um, he did not get extended last year and Notable hire was Nate McMillan in the offseason as his assistant coach, the guy who was runner up for coach of the year for the Pacers last year. And you got to think that if things continue to slide a little bit, the pressure is on for him to succeed or next man up. And same thing for for John Collins. If if things continue to be a problem, if more storylines end up coming out, I think that's a contract that we talked about in the early season that is very tradable and the Hawks will do whatever they can to get value out of these guys to continue making a push. Yeah, 100%. I mean, end of the day, this is Trey Young's team. So John Collins is not going to have the power over Trey Young. He can be a great two guy alongside Trey Young, but if he's not committed if he doesn't feel like he's getting enough time in the ball, yeah, absolutely. They are going to trade him come compared to making the switch uh, to have Trey give get the ball to John Collins more often, I, I would think. 
and and last last bit here is going back to Bogdan. Um, that was a huge signing, right? We we talked about that. He was one of the most um, weirdly like these guys who are super underrated. They they start they tend to get a little little overrated once they get to get their their names out on national media. But certainly Bogdan was one of the better two guards out in the market. He comes here on a team where he wanted a better role for himself, had the ball more in his hands, be in the starting unit, and he's had career lows in minutes, touches, and right now has, even when he was healthy, looking like a spot-up shooter, and Kevin Herter looking like the better player out of the two. I mean, do you see a role for him emerging on this team anytime soon? It's hard. It's hard to see where where it's gonna come from. Without them making a trade, possibly for trading or trading away John Collins or something like that, or or an injury somewhere else in the team. At this very moment, it's kind of looking like they got him just because he was available. They didn't really have a plan to fit him into the team. That's kind of the way that I'll be looking at it at this very moment. But at the same time, as I keep saying, it's still uh, a new group. This is a group still learning to play together. And as the season progresses, it'll start to come together more and more, and we will see the best out of all these players, I, I believe. Yeah. I I think that will – it'll be interesting to see their, their schedule is looking pretty tough coming up. If they can bounce back from this – recent skid for some unforgivable losses. I mean, losing to the Hornets twice in a row. I mean, the, the Knicks have been tough, so I'll give them that. And Cleveland's had the number one defense. And I mean, Sexton's just torching guys every every single game these this season. So I'll, I'll give it another month. But for such a hot start, it seemed like they're coming back down to earth and looking a bit more like the average team that I honestly predicted that they would be. And I, I originally said this, and I'll, I'll keep saying it. I think they pulled the trigger way too early on this young team, signing all these guys in the offseason and pushing for what may just end up being barely an eight seed this year. And on the other spectrum of that, we're going to talk about the Suns, who were, are totally trending up. So they've now jumped from uh, now they're fifth in the West, seven, seven and four. And they go from fourth in power ranking to second. They're looking like a hot team, not perfect, but how have you felt about their start so far? It's actually been a rather weird start for them because we haven't seen the best from their best players and their bench players have been the key to their success. I was, I was uh, doing, doing a bit of research and their top five bench players have got a better plus minus than the starters which it's it's a pretty shocking stat when you think of a team like Phoenix. The fact that they're now 7-4, and four, coming off uh, consistent losing seasons for the last, the last, uh, last number of seasons. So it's been a weird start, but I guess that has got to be the, the, a sign of growth in the team, the fact that they're able to grind out wins even without their star players at top level. Yeah, absolutely. And and two guys to highlight here in the rotation, Mikhail Bridges and Cameron Johnson look like the perfect wing pairing for Phoenix alongside both Booker and Chris Paul. 
Mikhail Bridges is looking like an offensive player. Finally. I mean, he, we know how elite he is on the defensive end, but he's just taking shots that you haven't seen him take before. He's pulling up from three. He's attacking the basket. He's making, he's finding his own shots and he's doing it very, very efficiently. I mean, he's having a career high in points per game, scoring 15 a game. He's still, he's rebounding at a better rate at five and a half a game and efficiently 63% uh, overall. Uh, sorry, a corrected field goal percentage. But my biggest thing for him is that three-point shot that no one has believed in. He's shooting out 45% on double the attempts. He's shooting almost six a game. And it's ironic that the Suns have, have been going through all these wings for the past, like almost, it almost feels like six, seven seasons now. And they finally hit on this guy who was probably, I thought a reach. Mikhail Bridges for me was a reach. Cam Johnson for me was definitely a reach, but both of them are looking like they have a lot more to offer than what you originally thought. Yeah. I think that's, that's the beauty of scouting, I guess. I guess they, they, they felt that there was something in these guys and they made their moves and now it, it looks like it, it's starting to finally pay off for, for this um, this Phoenix team. Been a lot of positives about it. The, the big negative has been DeAndre Ayton's offense. I mean, he's been electric on defense. He's been unbelievable, guarding almost every position with ease and he's he's been very impressive defensively, but he struggled hugely on offense. I mean, they get CP3 in. This guy is the king of working pick and rolls with his with his uh, with his big man, and they just can't get that working whatsoever. Of course, you look at as I said with the Hawks as well, the, the amount of time they've actually had to gel as a team and, and work on this in very little practice time, no preseason, all that sort of thing. But it's affecting the team and if they really want to make this push, they need to have Aiton being much more impactful on the offensive end. Yeah. That's one of the biggest disappointments for me on this team. I mean, regardless of where he was drafted, that's going to haunt him for the rest of his career. Um, not to mention who he was drafted ahead of AKA Luca John, uh, Luca magic. I mean, he looks lost so many times on the offensive end and more times than not, he's even clogging the lanes for, for Booker on the pick and roll. He's been near average for a guy who's supposed to be a dominant pick and roll big. And he hasn't stretched the floor at all. He hasn't been shooting well from mid range. He's shooting only 40% from there, which I mean, for, for a guy like that, you'd want him to do a little better in the pick and pop on wide open shots. So I think there's still room for him to grow, but it's really concerning that in the early go with two really good playmakers, he's not showing much. And you'd think that Chris Paul would be the immediate fix for, for an issue like that, but it, it hasn't shown up. And you see it now where you see Devin Booker on a pick and roll with, with him. And he just doesn't have the confidence to drop it down to him in the paint. Sometimes he's fumbling on the catch Sometimes he's not rolling at the right time. There just isn't that chemistry. And maybe that's something that comes around the middle of the season. That, that's something to continue watching. It's not something that's not fixable. You know that DeAndre Ayton has good touch on his turnaround. So there's no reason why he shouldn't be able to pick and pop better than he is. Um, he's shown that he's had some touch from three. And 
I think for a guy like him, a lot of it's just going to come down to confidence, getting his shots. And maybe it takes a gamer here to score, to get really involved in the offensive end because Mikhail Bridges is on the rise. Cam Johnson's on the rise. And you can tell that Devin Booker is doing everything he can to play within the team and not just as an individual. So he has a chance to figure it out this season and he's going to be a big X factor for them being either a really good team here or legitimately contending for making it to um, the semifinals maybe. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, you're right. This is something that you would expect to develop as the season goes on, that that this is a problem that you will hope it can be fixed. I mean, in essence, to get the best out of both Aiden and Chris Paul, because I mean, another issue that they're having is the fact that Chris Paul is missing far too many open looks when Aiden gets double teamed and he doesn't look to, to put it into him. He's getting a lot of open looks and he is not knocking them down with any sort of consistency. So, of course, that's something that will come. And you'd expect a guy like Paul, as he's shown in throughout his career, that he will instill confidence into the players that are around him. He did it last year with OKC and you'd expect him to do it again this year. One thing I'm looking at is the fact that Devin Booker needs to remember that this is still his team. And what I mean by that is he's got to be more aggressive. He's got to go and look to make it, make his shot more often and get his, he's just got to get back into the the mojo that he had last year. I think it's kind of knocked him back. It almost seems a little bit, the fact that Chris Paul has come in, it's, I don't know if he's just felt like he there's not as much pressure on him, but I mean, he's averaging four more points when they're losing games. So basically when they're down, he's like, okay, I got to step up now. And, and he, and it's, and it's showing, but he's got to show that bump. He's got to show his high basketball IQ from the start of every game to, uh, to really get this Felix team to the level that they're capable of. Yeah, I think, I think there's there's a lot of there's a lot of hopefulness when I watched him play this year. The numbers are down for sure. The scoring is down, and one of the most concerning things for me is his assist to turnover ratio. So right now it's it's basically one to one. He's he's averaging um, just over four assists and four turnovers a game, and that's not something you want to see from a guy who's really been one of the better pick and roll um, two guards in the league. And you wanted to see him take a bigger jump in being a lead playmaker. But obviously, when you got Chris Paul on the team, it's not going to be that way. This isn't Ricky Rubio, um, who was really a spot-up shooter alongside Devin Booker. Ricky Rubio is having a resurgent year from the three-point line alongside Devin Booker. But what you see is, is Devin Booker will, will make a play, kick it out to Chris Paul, and, and Chris Paul will slow the game down. And Chris Paul's not taking those shots. So I, I think a lot of that has to do with with him figuring out how to play alongside Chris Paul and also his lack of success with DeAndre Ayton. That's definitely been a big issue with his playmaking ability. And I think that these are good problems that are fixable because the Suns as a whole, they're playing very, very efficiently, more efficiently than they've ever played. Having Chris Paul here, having the team be a better on the offensive end, moving the ball around the perimeter. They're ninth in assists right now. They're ninth in offensive rating and they're 
third in least turnovers created a game. Um, so I'm very excited about how efficiently they played. So I think it's a sign of maturity from a team that over the past few years has been known to be making mistakes that cost some games late. And I think Booker will figure it out. I, I'm not, I'm not too sold on, on his shooting regression. I'm not too sold on his uh, assisted turnover regression. And the big problem though, for me is how far the team is going to go in the playoffs when it comes to CP3 being their second guy. Cause he, like you said, he's looked very human, very human this year. Yeah. I think you're worried that the fact though, just the fact that we're worrying about how far these guys can go in the playoffs. That's I mean, that's a huge the, improvement already. That's yeah. <laughs> all the positives you can want for a Phoenix team that have not been to the playoffs since uh, 2010. So yeah, at the end of the day, a lot to be excited about with this Phoenix team. They've started seven and four. They're getting more out of their fringe players. And the problems that they're having are the kind of problems that you're like, yeah, okay, these are these are fixable problems. These are problems that are going to come the more our guys gel and play together on the court. So Phoenix fans, man, get excited. Absolutely. Um, and the, la- the last thing to say about Chris Paul um, and I'll, I'll keep watching this throughout the season, but I think this is a real sign of his, of his regression. Um, and his, I think he turns 37 this year, but he's shooting his uh, effective field goal percent is below 50, which is his lowest in his career. And the biggest issue for him right now is he's approaching 15% of his shots at the rim, which is a career low. Like, and you watch the games. He just can't get to the rim anymore, and he's often settling for these fadeaway shots. He's settling for um, shooting from three, and it's not something that's going to be sustainable. And I'm wondering if they're going to have to rely more and more on Mikhail Bridges, more and more on Cam Johnson. And for me, that's an exciting thing. You you want these young guys to to step in and be that guy. Chris Paul is is going to be able to pass. I mean, in, into his forties. I mean, he he could be he could be Tom Brady on this team if he wanted to be, essentially. But the the moral of the story here is with Devin Booker clearly not looking to dominate the ball, trying to play a team concept. With Chris Paul clearly taking a step back in terms of his age and ability to score, that's the next step for them is to find that second guy who you're going to lean on. Is that going to be Mikhail Bridges? Is that going to be who it should be, DeAndre Ayton? Um, I'm interested to see who emerges to be that guy. Yeah, definitely. I think that's that's kind of a key. That's going to be a key aspect of this Phoenix team moving forward. But there's the spot is there, and there's there's a number of guys grabbing for it. So yeah, that's that's definitely an interesting uh, an interesting uh, place to to keep an eye on now for for the for the rest of the season. Yeah. And other players looking to be that guy, a handful of guys we're looking at who are trying to make their first all-star game. I want to talk about Zach Levine. Let's jump straight into it. We, we want to talk about some of these players that are changing the narrative, changing their careers. And first and foremost, my Zach Levine, he's been going crazy. He had that 45 point game against the Los Angeles Clippers, 38 points against the Lakers, 32 points against the Kings over the year. He's averaging 27.7 points a game, 4.6 assists. 
He's shooting almost 90% from the free throw line at almost six attempts, 37 from three. Like he's having the most efficient year and he's getting better every single year. Like I can't explain how much he's disrespected in terms of not just he's a bad player late in the game. He's, he's overrated, but he's really coming into his own as one of the league's best offensive players. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you go, all you have to do when you're looking at this guy this year is look at that game against the Clippers. Of course, you look at the fact that they didn't win, but 45 points, five boards, six assists, two steals. He went 10 of 16 from three-point land, and he shot five of five from free throws. I mean, this guy is legit. This guy is an unbelievable scorer. And the biggest thing that you always look at, these kind of fringe players that you, you don't really know if they're going to be that guy is, he just keeps on improving year after year after year. He keeps on getting better. And I am fully happy and committed to saying that this guy is right there scratching at the ceiling of being a great player. That's how good I believe he has been and how dominant he is for the Chicago team. He's one of those guys, when you watch him play, it's not just the numbers that, that excite you. When you watch him play, his scoring is so effortless. He doesn't need to have the ball in his hands every single possession anymore either. You see Kobe White starting to become a better playmaker and the team in general under Billy Donovan just looks so much smoother passing the ball and sharing the ball. But he just is able to score at will whenever he wants to. And the biggest thing for me in terms of him improving as a player is on the defensive end. He's not a Sif. He's not giving away points on the other end. And he looks more engaged. He knows where to put his body in position. And as an athlete, like that's all you can ask from him because he is one of the league's best vertical and uh, north-south athletes. He's one of the fastest, quickest guys in the league. He should be able to do this every night. And he's showing it that he's going to be the team's best player on both ends of the floor. And I'm pretty, I'm not sure if he's going to make a all-star game this year, but he's certainly, certainly making a hard sell. If the Bulls can maybe maybe squeaking the playoffs somehow, but it, it'll be tough to, to beat out guys like uh, Beal and maybe a couple other players, players we'll talk about here. Oh, man, I think it's, it, it'll be a major disrespect to Zach Levine if he does not get an all-star berth this year. But, guy, you just mentioned Bradley Beal. He, he is just going off. I mean, he's in playing with another team that are struggling big time. I mean, the Wizards are only 3-8. and eight. Beal, though, averaging... Uh, just under 35 points a game, 5.3 boards, five assists, shooting 49% from the field, shooting near 38% from three, shooting just under 90 from free throws. I mean, this guy is unbelievable. His last three games, he's put up 60, 41, and 34. And that 34 would have been a hell of a lot higher if it wasn't such a blowout victory that they were having. <laughs> I mean... I'm just disappointed that he's having to, he's stuck in Washington. I mean, I don't know where the move could be, but I think he should definitely want out of there because I don't think getting Russ in was going to ever do anything for him. I think if he's going to achieve great things in his career, he has to move away from Washington. It's it's tough to see, see him there because he's not getting anything else from his team there. And... I think a little bit different situation than Zach Levine where, where they're a young team growing. The Wizards are on the opposite spectrum. They, they've got 
young guys with a lot of question marks who are just not on the wrong side of a 20 in terms of contending. And Beal's right there in his prime. And you got to think that after this James Harden move that Beal's thinking, I mean, what, what am I up next? He's been rumored to be in trade talks for almost the past two, three seasons now. And I don't know if I haven't heard anything new of any teams reaching out for a trade there, but you hope that he gets himself to a better situation. I mean, yeah, that's, that's all you can, can hope for. I, I don't know where to look for. I mean, I don't know who I would say would be the right option for him at this very moment, but I fully believe that Bradley Beal is absolutely capable of being the lead guy on a playoff team, and I just want him to get that chance in his prime year. Is the, is the Lakers trade talk still alive? Is there still a chance? Can they make it happen? Because, I mean, now that the Nets have, have already set up their, their trio, maybe that's the move that they've been looking to make. It could be. I mean, this is this is still a Laker team that they're still set up to win now, and they've still got they've got they've got some talent. And I mean, if they want to put all their all their eggs in winning another couple of championships over the next few years, and then maybe dropping off for uh, for a while like they did in the towards the end of Kobe and and before LeBron came, I think yeah. I mean. If they really wanted to, I think it's still possible. If Brooklyn were capable of making the move, I think the Lakers are more than capable of being able to make the move for Beal as well. And another guy in the East we want to touch on, um, I got Jalen Brown here. He's pushing hard, hard for an all-star period. I think he he might have the best chance out of all these guys, just given the Celtics' success. Um, I mean, he had a hot start. He had 33 points against Milwaukee, 42 against Memphis. 31 against Detroit like he's had a string of just fantastic offensive performances and he's been doing it consistently now and I think you saw flashes of it when Hayward was out when Kemba was out because when everybody was healthy on this Celtics team he was really a fourth option he was relegated to the corner he had to get his own and score without anything set up for him and now that the offense can really focus on him and Tatum as a main scoring pair he's really making the most of it got a career high 26 points a game he's still killing it with um, steals almost getting two a game three and a half assists with a career high 6.2 rebounds a career high getting to the line almost over four and a half times I think he's starting to make a jump that is convincing me that is sustainable the way that he's been playing he's always been good in the mid-range he's doing it more now that Hayward's not there and I think this is really the only hope for the Celtics to contend right now is if he can keep up this um, amazing play. I, I never saw this coming, honestly. It, it was me a few years back that was really seeing him as this like one dimensional, maybe three and D guy, but he's definitely proven me wrong. And he's proving everyone around the league that he deserves an all NBA nod at some point. Yeah, absolutely. I think he, he's been, he's been incredible. I think him and Tatum together as a pair this year, I've been, have just been awesome. I think the only question mark you have is just whether or not he remains the second option when Kemba comes back. That'll just be interesting to see what way the Celtics try to work it. But I think the way he's playing at the moment and the way that Kemba was playing before he went uh, went down with his injury, the way he was playing last season, I think absolutely you've got to keep Jalen Brown as, as the two option. Of course, you gotta give Kemba his his shots as well. You got him in for that reason. You gotta 
you got to give respect to, to what he's done in his career. But the way that Jalen Brown is playing, the, the Celtics just got to commit to him and Taylor as their star duo and just hope that Walker can come in and just give them that little extra bump, but it still would just be centered around Taylor and Brown. That, that's my, that was my biggest question too. Is, is Kemba coming back and affect him? And it all depends on Kemba accepting his role as the number three guy now. He's never, I mean, he, he at times was the third option last year for sure. So I, I think it translates. But the bigger picture too is the Celtics thinking about making trades. Are, are the Celtics going to risk the growth that they've seen from Jalen Brown, the continued growth they've seen from Jason Tatum? Um, are they going to respond to this hardened trade in a year that they feel that they can contend? Are they going to respond to it by getting another wing? Are they going to get another star? Because we've seen that as they've ebbed and flowed over the past two seasons, that now you're convinced Jalen Brown's that guy. Do you want to go back on that? And I think that the answer to me should be no. Like they, they need to focus on these young guys, continue to let them emerge as stars. And I, I hope that Kemba coming back or any potential moves that they may be thinking about making don't affect that trajectory that he's on right now. Yeah, absolutely. I think it would be a very naive move and the Celtics are not too, not, wouldn't be, wouldn't be a regular uh, makers of bad moves in in terms of of trades and, and stuff like that. And I think it's not going to really help. I think they just got to commit to what they have right now and getting the best out of their guys at this very moment. Maybe when Kemba comes back, if you look to maybe work a trade for him, possibly I might understand it. But aside from that, I think they should just stick with what they have and just instill the belief that they, that these Brown Tatum are are their guys and yeah, we're going to go and we're going to, we're going to do our best to, to, to win a championship with this current this current setup. Yeah. Look, man, I, I know you've been itching, you've been dying, you've been bursting at the seams to talk about that guy. You know who I'm talking about. I'll just let you go for it. Well, who are we talking about now? There could be a few mans. I mean, I think the fact that we mentioned Zach Levine, does that mean we gotta mention Julius Randall as well? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean the end of the day, this this Knicks team is still built around a young core, and Julius Randle is simply there to keep us in touching distance in games. But he's doing a lot more than that this year, and he has just been he's just been hot. That's that's all you can say. This guy is making plays, he's averaging career high in assists, he's up there with rebounds, he's averaging around 23 points a game. I mean, this guy, he's been hot. And the most important thing this year, he's actually impacting wins compared to compared to last year. I mean, do you think it's sustainable? I I mean, my whole thing is that I never believed that, that Randall was going to be our lead guy leading us back towards playoff contention or anything like that. And to be honest, I still don't believe that he is. <laughs> I'm happy for him to, to keep balling out and I hope that for his sake it can it can work out for a positive move in his career and maybe he can get onto a team where he can be the two or the three guy and and maybe compete for 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 higher honors but 
at this moment. Just enjoy the hot streak, Knicks fans. Let's just enjoy what we're seeing out of Julius Randle. Well, man, this is crazy for me because when you really think about it, this is a guy with pedigree. He's a guy with pedigree. He was drafted seventh overall, and he was supposed to be one of those future Lakers stars that they drafted. And I think it's just been such a weird career arc for him, for me, that he is hurt in the early goings of his rookie season. He's kind of hot and cold there, then gets moved to New Orleans, does well in New Orleans, and then gets moved to um, New York. And he's now coming into his own, having the key, not, maybe not the keys handed to him completely, but he's definitely been given charge of this offense by Tom Thibodeau. And he's performing. He, he's performing like if, if you told me, if you fast forwarded a few years back to now, and you told me that Randall was averaging this, I would say that he's a star because where he was projected to be, he's that right now. And he took a while to get here, but I think he's arrived. And when do we start talking about Julius Randall as a star and not just some exciting guy who's surprising people? Like this guy's been talented since high school. This guy was a top 10 recruit. This guy was a top 10 prospect. He was drafted seventh. He was supposed to be a star and his early disappointment, I think he's making it for it right now. And it's, it seems like he's, he's polarizing on NBA Twitter as whether he's the next star or he's just another trade piece. It's so, it's hard to say. I would still have him there as the trade piece because I do believe that the Knicks are building around their core. They have a young core. The Knicks are looking at RJ Barrett, Mitchell Robinson, and emerging this year, looking Kevin Knox is looking good, and Emmanuel quickly that they drafted uh, deep deep in the first round this year. There, those are guys that are looking good. And they're they're still the Knicks are still hoping that they're the future. So I, that's why I still believe that that Randall is still just there as a trade piece. But you can't disrespect the guy. He 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 is performing career highs so far this season, and yeah, long may it continue. It's. Interesting the way he's played to um, being this, this cog in the offense, not just as, as a guy who can create his own shot. And he's, he shot better than I've ever seen him from mid range. I mean, he, he just takes these like 10 foot hooks that I would think has no prayer and he's sinking them at a pretty good rate. And his ability to create is something that I didn't think he ever had. So it, it surprised me that he's had growth in, in ways that no one has projected him to be. And if he continues, I, I think it's going to change the narrative. I, I think that, you know, as a New York team that has just been a scrap pile of talent, just dragging people from all corners of the NBA that nobody wants to finally hit on a guy like this, who nobody thought was going to end up being anything. I, I think it's tough to, to trade away unless you got something convincing because you can draft all you want. You're going to get your Kevin Knox's, you're going to get your Emmanuel Quickly's, but are you going to get a guy that's, I mean, flirting with triple doubles here and there? Uh, there's not many guys who can do that in the league. And for you to find that in some random trade deal, I think you might want to hold on to that. I don't know. Yeah, man. If he if he's averaging, if he's either side of the numbers he's averaging at this very moment, come maybe end of February, early March, then uh, then I think the narrative might change. But I'm just enjoying what I'm seeing out of Julius Randle and respect to him for stepping up and embracing 
what Coach Tibbs ha- ha- has brought into this New York team. Yeah. So moving on, talking about those guys who are pushing for potentially their first all-star appearances, we want to give you a little rookie update. Talk about some interesting rookies we've seen so far. Um, I want to give you the floor. Who, who are some guys that you've you've seen that maybe they're not going to be rookie of the year, but some people who have impressed you this this far? Okay, well, well the, the main guy that I'm looking at is, is Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, he's a guy. He's a guy that I'm I'm real hot on. I think Sacramento did a great bit of business getting him at number twelve in the draft. And I mean, the Kings are still five and seven, but this guy has been, he's been pretty awesome. He's averaging twelve and a half points a game, three boards, near six assists. He's shooting fifty four percent from the field. He's shooting fifty two percent from three and shooting 82% from free throws. I mean, this guy is a legit scorer and he has been incredibly impressive, especially most impressive game I saw was actually last night against Portland. Of course, it was a defeat because this Kings team is still just meh, really. And he had 17 points, five boards, nine assists. He shot seven to 10 from the field, three or four from three. I mean, this guy is coming off the bench, averaging those stats as a rookie. I mean, the sky is the limit for this kid. Having the having him alongside Darren Fox too, I, I was wondering how the how the uh, fit would be. You knew that they had to draft him there because he just slid way too far. I mean, this guy could have easily been drafted in in the top five, but having a guard next to Darren Fox who can play make, who can rebound, who can play defense, who can do just about anything. I mean, I don't know how high his ceiling is. That's that's been the argument from scouts all along for him but he's been as good as possibly advertised. And the fact that he's doing it so efficiently is, is crazy for me. For somebody that long, young to come into the league, face NBA defenses, and be shooting almost 70% um, effective field goal percentage, I mean, he's, his shot is translated in a way that I definitely didn't think it would. His, his awkward kind of set shot, it looks good. I mean, when it's going in, it looks good. And <laughs> for me, it's his feel also. Like, he has this natural feel that you only see from the league's best. And his athleticism is sneaky good. He's so long and he can just take two steps and boom, he's right there at the rim. And it surprised me a lot that this guy was so overlooked by, I mean, teams like the Bulls, teams like the Knicks, guys who are dying for uh, playmaking. And especially for his fit with Aaron Fox, He's averaging six, almost six assists on just 15% usage. He's barely getting touches and he's playmaking for others at a really high rate. It's, it's beyond impressive for me. I don't know if he's, he's going to be the de facto rookie of the year. Um, it's, it'll be a race between him and another guy we'll talk about LaMelo, but I've been extremely impressed with what I've seen so far. Yeah, I'm loving it. And you do, you tipped on, tipped on LaMelo and we can't, can't talk about a guy dropping dimes without bringing up LaMelo ball. I mean, my pick for rookie of the year. I think he's still he's the top of the of the Kia MVP ladder. Three weeks in, this guy he's kind of he's kind of doing everything that was advertised in him. And the most surprising thing is he's not shooting overly impressively, but he's only shooting forty percent from the field and thirty two percent from three. But that's actually pretty decent compared to when you're actually watching him. You think it's so much worse. He's actually, he, he, he like, that's actually fair. 
it's fairly solid for what he's actually when you're actually watching him, you think he was he was his percentages will be way lower. But the way this guy is dropping dimes, he he's he's taken to the league and he's just showing this this guy has got mega star power. I I don't know where to put him on, on the map in terms of, of rookies I've seen before, but it's it's absolutely night and day. There there's some days where he he just looks like not an NBA player. He just straight up, he can't defend. He, if he can't get to the, the rim, he's not going to score because his, his shot is still a little bit broken. Like his step back can, he can sometimes get that over guys, but he doesn't have the strength to finish through guys. He doesn't have the, the touch right now to be, to be scoring around the rim. And then all of a sudden he drops a triple double and he does it against Atlanta and he does it shooting 70%. Like he has such a delta between his good games and his bad games. And for a young player like that, all you ask for is flashes. So I I am a lot more pleased than I thought I would be with his performances. And it'll just be a matter of time for him to to figure out the game and let the game slow down. And he's going to be one of the league's best playmakers for years to come. Yeah, absolutely. As you mentioned, the youngest guy to ever record a triple double when he hit that 22, 12, and 11. And the, the biggest thing is the Hornets are just setting the ground perfectly to allow him to develop into the league. I mean, the Hornets are six and six so far this year. I think they're, they're, they're fairly solid and they're getting Hayward back playing his, playing his game. But they know Lamelo is nowhere close to the finished product yet, but they are just giving him all the tools that they possibly can to become the player that he is is capable of becoming. I think that so far it's looking just looked like really great management from from this Hornets uh, as a franchise, and you just hope that it's going to have the positive impact, and Lamelo is going to become the star that uh, that uh, the Ball family have been desperate for. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'm. I, I think I'm most excited about for the Charlotte team the way they've played alongside Lamelo. It's just been energized. I, I just noticed they pass the ball so much more. They're so much more active on the break, and that's the effect of having a guy like him. And you look for your point guard to to push the pace to manage the team, and he'll get better in the half court. But it's already had a major impact on how this team runs and having guys like Miles Bridges, PJ Washington, guys who can get out on the break and run. It's huge for them to have him on that team. And he's even got to, his teammates, Terry Rosier going off. Gordon Hayward, you said it going off. I'm very impressed with this Hornets team to start out for a team that I thought honestly was going to be closer to, I don't know, two, two and 10. So for them to be playing this well, for, for them to be, um, Having this much success, I'm very, very impressed. And a lot of that is is honestly on the ball movement, the mellow ball. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, a final little rookie to, 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 to sing our teeth in here is, uh, is a surprise one who, who's going to develop an interesting narrative around him after after um, the trade that went down yesterday. And that's Tyrese Maxey. <laughs> The talk now is the last bit of rumor around Philly was that Houston were trying to work a deal that involved Ben Simmons and Tyrese Maxey. And it's starting to look like now that when they said Tyrese Maxey, 
Philly came out and said, nope, sorry, we are not doing that deal. So they have got faith in this young man. Uh, I think it's a massive, massive overreaction. I mean, we already talked about it yesterday, but I'm still stunned that that was, that was even a, a small talking point in, in the trade between uh, the Sixers and the Rockets. Just he's had a, he's had a fantastic game against Denver, but let's remember that was when they were down to, what nine eight nine players and he played 44 minutes he scored 39 it was great but for, for me it's it was such a huge overreaction not just from the 76ers but I, I think from the league I mean guys like this you saw Kendrick Nunn go off in extended minutes last year um, I, I think I've been impressed with his ability to to come off the bench and provide some energy when meanwhile we thought Shake Milton was going to be that guy um, I'm not sure if I'm completely sold on on him ascending to this uh, sleeper pick that, that nobody realized was going to be good. I, I'm going to need to see a little bit more consistency, especially when the whole team is healthy. Yeah, absolutely. I think you, you kind of mainly look at the, at the last three games that this guy's played. I think over the last three, when uh, obviously Philly have been have been down due, due to COVID uh, issues, he's averaging uh, just over 23 points, just over five boards and six assists. But that's a... Uh, Average of 37 minutes compared to no more than 22 minutes before before this uh, this uh, last three game stretch. So yeah, still a lot to a lot of questions to answer for this young man. But he stepped up when he 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 was needed, and that's always a good sign for a young player. He's still only 20 years old, but yeah, we'll we'll. we'll Keep an eye on it. Let's see how he develops when he's coming off the bench, when he's playing somewhere around the 15 to 20 minute range at night. See, see uh, what sort of uh, numbers he can put up then. That's that's definitely uh, definitely a guy that uh, not, to, not to overreact on too much, but definitely want to keep an eye on the fact that they weren't, it seems that they were not willing to trade him, which would be uh, a, bit, a bit crazy. That's going to be the, the biggest, biggest mistake so far. I, I don't know if that was... There hasn't been any further news on what the official Sixers trade talk was, but if that ended up being the nail in the coffin for that deal, that's that's insane to me. Insane to me. Um, as far as I'm concerned, he's the other Tyrese. Um, I'm going to be talking about Halliburton all year long, um, and another guy I'm going to be talking about all year long is my guy Patrick Williams, and I just got to give him a shout out because the way the numbers aren't jumping off the page right now. Um, because everything is on, on limited touches, but the past couple games, he faced up against LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard. Now, people are going to poke fun and say, oh, he scored six points in that game against Lakers. It doesn't matter. When you watch this kid on tape, he's got the frame at 19 years old to be posting up LeBron James <laughs> and to be posting up Kawhi Leonard. Two of the league's best post players he's defending on every single possession and he's doing it well you you heard the words come out of LeBron's mouth himself he said it that he's he's like a Kawhi Leonard you heard it from Nicholas Batum the next game man he plays a lot like Kawhi Leonard I'm seeing these Kawhi Leonard comparisons jump out from every team that he's faced so far and I'm absolutely loving it he's impressed me so far with his touch I mean he can he has this mid-range game that you don't expect He's a smooth shooter, already shooting 46% from three. Obviously, that, that'll regress a bit uh, as the season goes on. But his 48% on twos is totally sustainable, the way that he's been uh, able to 
lose his defenders, get to his floater, get to his hook shot. They look the same every time. They look like a shot that he relies on. And I think it's an ironic kind of uh, kind of narrative for a guy who's drafted fourth. But for a guy who everyone thinks the Bulls reached for, they kind of thought, oh, he didn't even start in college. They kind of gave up on him as being a potential star out of this draft. But I think he has a biggest chance out of everyone here to have a huge, huge career if these talents that other players around the league are starting to compare him to start to pan out. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I always hate when when young players just entering the league are getting compared to veteran <laughs> stars. But he's on the right he's on the right trend because we all remember when Kawhi Leonard came into this league. Kawhi Leonard was not a guy that whose stats jumped off jumped off the page when you looked yeah. at them, but he could defend. And now this is a Kawhi Leonard that he can still defend and he can still put the numbers up on the board. So I think. A big component is the fact that he's come in and shown an ability to defend some of the best players in this league. And that shows that he is built and ready to be an NBA player. And that's that's the greatest standing point that you can start off from. Like, So, yeah, everything else will start to come. This guy continues to develop the way he's going. I think, yeah. They, 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 this could have been a, this could have been a really, really clever move from from the Chicago Bulls to draft this guy at four. He, he's showing up, and he's doing about everything that you could expect from 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 the guy at, at this very moment. And yeah, I mean, you, you love you love to see it when you see these young guys uh, stepping up. Yeah, we, we got to hang on to every hopeful sign we can um, as we've we've continued to be at the bottom of the league here. But offensively, Bulls are playing like a top five team. If only we could defend somebody, that might help out a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. Uh, Also, I'm not going to talk about him. I just want to mention him. Maybe just guys, just keeping a little eye out on Emmanuel quickly. This guy is still a bit all over the place, but when he looks good, he looks really, really good. He's a fun guy to watch. He's not going to, who knows, his numbers are going to be erratic all year, but but just keep an eye on him in the highlight reel because he, he, he puts up some some fun plays off uh, the New York bench. So yeah, you want to you want to draft a you want to trade Julius Randle off to you to get more minutes for it. get more minutes for Emmanuel quickly trade trade your best player right now just to do that. That's that sounds like <laughs> a good deal for sure. Yeah, why not get us into the lottery again? Moving on to finish off our stock take on uh, some of the players from these opening few weeks. Looking at guys that. I would have expected more out of so far in this campaign. And the number one guy I've got here is Pascal Siakam. He, uh, I don't even know what to say. I mean, Toronto are two and eight. Big, big, big surprise. Siakam, he's, he's averaging pretty solid numbers, but 20, he's got 20, uh, 20.4 points a game. He's averaging near nine boards a game and around five assists. He's starting to improve, but this Pascal Siakam has to be the guy, and I don't think he realizes that. He can't afford to just show up every couple of nights. Pascal Siakam is Toronto's guy now, and he has to step up night in and night out, or else Toronto are headed for a big decline. Is there a possibility that his blip in being a an all-star type talent was that 
the Kawhi Leonard effect? Was that having Kawhi Leonard on his team? Was that having Marcus Gasol on his team? Was that, was that having Serge Ibaka on his team? Was that more of him reaping the benefits of a well-constructed team around Nick Nurse? And now that he's the number one guy, it's not really it. Absolutely, that's that's that is exactly how it's looking at this very moment. But I mean, the Raptors have got faith in Siakam, so yeah. Let let's let, let me see something of it. I mean, at this very moment, he's looking like he's gonna be a flaker for the for the remainder of his career in Toronto. But he's still got he's got a tremendous talent, and it's just a question now of can he be the guy. Rather than just I think that was already answered though. I, I don't know. For, for me, I, I was so I was I was not sold on it um a couple seasons ago. You started to see a little bit more of it last season. Um he was able to shoot, he had career high in mid-range in his mid-range game, career high in assists. But you even saw it not just in the playoffs when Jalen Brown completely shut him down. Like he wasn't able to get anything over Jalen Brown, who in his own right is one of the least best defenders, but you would expect him to use his size to play over him but he's a guy who's doesn't got a very deep bag and you even saw it against Golden State the other day where Draymond Green knew exactly what he was going to do and he just didn't have a counter for it he, he doesn't have he doesn't have a lot of counters for the league's better defenders and that's that's very characteristic of not an elite player he's he's in my mind a three a third best player on a championship team not even the second. You can't rely on him to create his own shot. You can't even rely on him to really create shots for others. His best asset really is in the open court and beating up on smaller guys in the paint. And defensively, I mean, he's still still an absolute animal. Like he, he can defend multiple positions. And I think once the Raptors realize that, I think he's quickly realized that it'll be interesting what they do to, to continue to build this team because what the Raptors' biggest struggle has been is trying to make him that guy because he's not that guy. They've got to figure out how to get other people involved and maybe even make a move here. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, I think that's definitely... You'd be interested to know what their thinking is around the idea of possibly making a move, I think. I don't know what way they try to go for it. I don't know if they would try and get a young piece and maybe some picks for him or what way that they were thinking. It would be interesting to see what they would value Pascal Siakam at. But at this very moment, yeah, he, he, he's just been, he's, he's been disappointing and you, you just hope for Nick Nurse and for, for as a Raptors fan that he can find some sort of consistency in his offensive game or else this is going to be a, a cold deck year in mediocrity for the Raptors, which of course could not be the worst thing, especially with the the talk of how stacked the, the draft is going to be uh, in in 2021. So maybe maybe it might uh, might be might be okay that they they struggled a bit this year. Yeah, I think this is going to be a common team. I mean, going off on a small tangent, this is going to be a common team for a lot of teams who are on the outside looking in, and you're going to see more. I think uh, teams that thought maybe they can go a little bit deeper in the playoffs. Now that Harden is on the Nets, you're going to see a lot of teams turn to the tank. I think the tank engine is going to be back on and running. But before, before we dive off the deep end and how, in that, uh, I want to hear some other disappointments you had. I, I know you got a couple. Yeah, another guy I'm looking at is uh, 
Kelly Oubre. Uh, and then it, it's mainly because when you heard that this was the move that the Warriors made after Clay went down, you were just expecting him to come in and be as good as Clay almost. I don't know why I had that expectation, but just when I heard it, I was expecting. Mm-hmm. Well, you you must you must have been uh was that when uh, I think the bars were still open back when uh, he got traded right? <laughs> it was just I was just expecting too much out of him, but at the same time, he is still really uh, below what he should be delivering for this Warriors team and what this Warriors team were expecting to get out of him. I mean, he is averaging just under eleven points, just under. Uh, six boards and not even an assist a game, but it's the percentages that are killing him. He's shooting 35% from the field and 17% from three. I mean, this this is just not okay. This Kelly Oubre, you were meant to be the two guy on this Warriors team and you are just tanking it at the moment. I think that's another example of a fallacy that we tend to have in the NBA where Young guys around his age have marginal improvements. They improved year to year. And we always expect this, this linear growth from young, exciting players, except especially young athletic guys. And I think what we're seeing from Ubre is that he's always been on teams where there weren't a lot of expectations. He's always been on teams where he can thrive um, competing without expectation. And I don't know if it's the pressure. I don't know if if he doesn't he doesn't like the uh, the cold weather and in, in San Francisco. I I don't know what it is, but he's having the worst year I've seen him have. And even though I didn't expect him to have this this jump, I absolutely did not expect him to be replacing Clay Clay Thompson. But I, I was surprised. I, I would think that the gravity of of Chef Curry, that the ability for um, Steve Kerr to put him in the right positions would have helped him at least stay at the level he was at. But it's definitely been a surprise to me that he's been this bad, for sure. Yeah, I think that's just, that's just the biggest thing, I think, for, for most people looking at it. I think the very minimum you were expecting out of him was to come in and be around the same mark that he was last season. I mean, last season he was averaging just under 19 points, uh, just over six boards. I mean, he's shooting a solid 45% from the field, a solid 35% from three. And if he was delivering those numbers right now, I mean, you'd be thinking, well, this is a really great move from him and, and Kelly Oubre is really stepping up to the mark. But but one, one last guy here, I'll, I'll let you drop his name and we'll, we'll talk about him and close with Jamal Murray. I mean, it, it's, it's been disappointing only because of what this guy did in the bubble. That's kind of the main reason that I'm looking at this as a disappointing start. Of course, it's been tough for, for Denver. They're, they've gone five and six. They've, they've, they've had a lot of struggles. I mean, but Jamal Murray, I think when we saw him playing the bubble, we thought, okay, this is the, this is, he's the guy now. This guy is going to kick on from this and really become a superstar in this league. Yeah. And unfortunately, so far this season, it's not really adding up. He's he's shooting below 20 points a game. He's not even averaging three boards a game. And he's below just below four assists. He, his numbers have been solid. I just expected 
a big push from the get-go with Jamal Murray? I think the problem was that our expectations were just so sky high. I mean, the the 50-point game he had and then averaging 26.5 points, 6.6 assists in the playoffs, we just expected, again, talking about the this linear growth, like there, there were so many exceptional games that he had there. And although the shooting definitely showed sustainable improvement, he just wasn't going to go off for that long. And I mean, right, right now on the surface, I mean, he's, he's averaging a career high in points and his true shooting is at that 61%. And these are numbers that you'd love to see from a 23 year old point guard who, I mean, he's still young, he's still got a ways to go. And I think there's more a story of, of tempering expectations for young players. There's, there's going to be, there's going to be big moments. There's going to be highs and lows and, and players coming to their primes is when you expect them to do it on a night to night basis. Um, I mean, I, I hate to allude to constantly to, to Zach Levine, cause I'm sure people are getting tired of that, but, but you're seeing something from, from Zach Levine where he's, he's in this, in this later stage in his career where he's starting to put it together every single night. But I think we still have to expect a little bit of uncertainty night to night from which Jamal Murray we're going to get. And it's just too soon to be pegging him as this superstar, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think you, you forget that this is still a young kid. And I think it also hasn't helped that all the kind of the change around around this Denver team uh, in the off season, it has hurt them. They're kind of going in a. They're, they're still built around the same core players, but they're still trying to work into a new direction. So yeah, I'm not gonna go crazy on the fact that Jamal Murray is not their leader in all in all uh, in all stats. But I will say that this is a guy who can do better. I believe he is capable of doing better. And I think Jokic needs a little bit more support from him if Denver are to kind of get this season back on track. Yeah, and I it'll it'll take some more some more figuring out their rotations. This, this Denver team has been unimpressive to say the least to start the season. Jokic has been his superstar self, but among other issues, Jamal Murray is just one in a constellation of of dysfunction on both ends of the ball that they've had throughout the season. I mean, he's had flashes and hot and cold, but that's the main thing. I want to see him do it consistently and we'll, we'll see what, what can change to make that happen. But an interesting thing for me is that he looks really, really in shape in the bubble and he was using that to his advantage. He it would look so much easier for him to get in the paint, get to his spots, fight through screens, but he looked like he's, he's lost. He did lose around eight, nine pounds, but he lost, some muscle he lost some of those physical gains that he had in the bubble and I think it's it's convinced me that that's had a bit of big effect on how efficiently he can play on both ends of the floor yeah definitely I think all those those things they all have a big impact and you just it's just it's it's tough to, to kind of make the call on on, on how you work with yourself physically compared to just working on your skills of the game you know it, it you have to have the perfect balance between both to really truly achieve your potential in this league 
Yeah. And, and guys, I, I think that's going to about do it here for the podcast. And in, in order to, for us to improve and uh, achieve our true potential, we'll, we'll get working on these, uh, these network issues we've had. It, you know, it's always tough trying to, trying to get things to work across the pond and given uh, the limited spaces we got here. But um, guys, as always, thank you for tuning in. We're really excited to uh, continue these, these podcasts and getting in all this content on these teams. And hopefully COVID is not going to bring everything to a standstill. We're seeing more and more positive cases. And I'm really concerned that after this uh, league meeting this week, that number one, players are not going to be following these rules. I, I, I doubt that given all the changes that have been made since the bubble, that that's going to happen. But we're uh, starting to get into scary waters in terms of the, the season getting shut down or some major changes happening. I'm not sure. There's a lot of uncertainty. Yeah, we just got to keep hoping for the best, unfortunately. Uh, Pacers and Suns, that was another game that was postponed. Uh, that was meant to be on Saturday. Uh, that's another game that was postponed today. So, unfortunately, every day we keep seeing more games get postponed. But hopefully they are capable of continuing this season without having to make a pause. And we just got to hope for the best because we need sport and especially NBA basketball during these lockdown COVID times. Hold up, brother. But at any rate, guys, thanks for joining us. Ronan, it was good talking to you as usual. I'll catch you next time on the pod. See you, bro. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Coast to Coast. Don't forget to hit us up on Instagram and Twitter at Coast to Coast NBA Podcast to hear your takes discussed right here on the show. And remember, take every shot and love every moment.